Good morning, Southside Church. It's Dalton Rosiski here. I'm the student pastor at the Redstone Campus. So glad you joined us online today for our service. I hope today that God is gonna teach you and I know that God is gonna teach you something awesome as long as you're open to whatever God has for you today. So as we start, I would love to open up in a psalm in order to prepare our hearts today. So if you will, look at the screen with me. And we're gonna read through this psalm. This is Psalm 139. It says this. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest, and you are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you knew all about it. You have encircled me and you have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty and I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are also there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day, darkness and light are alike to you. For it was who you who created my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. Will you pray with me this morning? God, you know where we are at today, not just in location, but in spiritual standing. Lord, today we pray your word. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says this, search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead in me in everlasting way. God, may your word penetrate our hard hearts today. No matter where we're at, if we're at home, at church, wherever we are, God, penetrate our hard hearts today with your word. May your truth bring repentance and drive us today to surrender our lives to the Son. You, God, are worthy of it all. And it's in your Son's heavenly name I pray. Amen. I was always anxious as a kid. It was a struggle of mine. I was always anxious. And maybe not outwardly, but in my head. And maybe some of you could relate to that. But in my anxiety, something that always drove me even more anxious was when people would come up to you and they would try to tell you about something. And maybe you've heard this before, but they would tell me this, do you want the good news or the bad news first? And in those moments, I just, I laughed because I was always like, I'm so anxious about this. Why can't it just be good news? But then they would always give you kind of that awkward choice. And of course, who wants to hear the bad news first? But for you today, in honor of my anxious childhood, I'm gonna try to keep this simple. Today, I'm gonna to tell you the truth only, and you get to decide if it's good or bad. So I hope that helps. Are you ready? Here it is. It's only going to get worse. I know, exciting, not the best. Maybe that's not what you were looking forward to today. Maybe after hearing that, you're like, all right, great video, pause, let's go. No, but today, it's only going to get worse. And I want to show you in scripture, it talks a lot about this. This is in 2 Timothy 3.13. It says this, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving, and being deceived. Amen, right? Like that's exciting. Amen. No, 
But here's the thing, super encouraging about this, this isn't the whole story. Hear this, have you ever heard someone say this? Our country has gone to, maybe they say hell, right? Like our country has gone to, insert the word. Maybe you've had a conversation, I know I have this week about things that people are dealing with, issues that maybe people are seeing in our country or in their families, and they're talking about these things like identity confusion, crime, pain and suffering, corrupt leaders, acts of violence, and everything else under the sun. It's super encouraging stuff. Not at all, but that's what people are talking about. And in these moments, I think it's important for us to realize this, that the darkness that they're talking about in the world has a name, and it's sin. Sin is the, those things that we are seeing in the world that go opposite of God's way. And it, interesting enough, you often hear people, when they're talking about these things, even good church people, they talk about ways that they believe will fix whatever the issue is. And I find it interesting. Maybe you've heard some of these. It's sayings like this. If only a certain political party was in leadership. If only we could talk about Jesus in school again. If only the younger generations would figure out their stuff because ours was nothing like this. Or they offer some other solution. But as I was studying my sermon this week, I think it's so important for us to understand that the solution has been at our fingertips all along. The solution has been in arm's reach. And it's something we quite often overlook. And, and I'm throwing myself in this as well. I often overlook the solution that's right in front of us to all of these issues. That solution is this. The solution to our problem is God's word. So what if I told you about, or what I told you about earlier, it's going to get worse, is only really partly true. Because what I believe is this, you see it's going to get worse, but the good news is we have a solution, and it's God's word. It's God's word. And today I want to show you in God's word exactly what I mean. If you have your Bibles today, whether digitally or paper, whatever it looks like, if you'll turn to 1 Kings 17, it's in the Old Testament, it's before 2 Kings, somewhere after Genesis, good luck finding it. If you're in an app, you could quickly one tap that thing and get it right away. But if you're there, get into 1 Kings 17. And as you flip to it, I want to give you some background today. We're 57 years since King Solomon, David's son's reign. And in this moment, a lot has happened in the nation of Israel. You see, there's been great strife and there's been great division, both spiritually and physically. And people are struggling with all kinds of things. They're talking about and fighting over taxes and laws and so much more. And maybe this sounds familiar to us, but I, I think as we continue, you'll start to see the similarities between their culture and ours. And in this moment, the nation of Israel is split there's the northern kingdom called Israel, and there's the southern kingdom called Judah. And in this moment, I want you to hear this. Historically, the northern kingdom was corrupt, and it was evil. The southern kingdom was righteous and followed after God. I can almost hear some of you southerners getting excited about that, but, but let's continue. As you see this moment, 1 Kings 17 picks up with the seventh king of the northern kingdom, King Ahab. And at this moment, Israel, the northern kingdom, has gotten so far from God. They're so far from God. They've, they've rejected so many things. And in this moment, 
this man, Elijah, God raises up. He's a prophet. He's actually one of the biggest prophets in all of the Old Testament. And what a prophet's job was to do was to go to a nation, specifically Israel, and to tell them God's word and to help direct them from sin back to him. And Elijah, he goes and he talks to King Ahab. And in this moment, this is where we're going to see at in 1 Kings 17. We see Elijah bring forth to King Ahab this conversation of sin and rejecting God. And why did Israel reject God after 57 years? Well, the reason was Baal worship. Now, Baal was a false god from the land of the Canaanites. He was the god of fertility and rain. The worship of Baal attacked everything that God held holy. To put it in modern terms, Baal worship led to things like this, and these topics are very real today. Abortions, self-harm, sacrifices of children, marital infidelity, divorce, homosexuality, identity issues, and so much more. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. You know, why is this important? Well, I think it's important because Baal worship led to this. The Israelites had rejected God's word. The Israelites had turned their back on God. The first of the 10 commandments given to the Israelites to help them live lives that honored God was this. You shall have no other God besides me. Yet it was sin, a rejection of the one true God and sin that had consequences. The Israelites were being disobedient children turning against their father's will. And we're now about to see the consequences of their sin. So if you'll pick up, this is chapter 17, verse one, and it says this. Now, Elijah the Tishabite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during the, year, the, during the years except by my command. Elijah goes to King Ahab and because uh, he says, because of your leadership and because God's people have rejected my word, there will be a drought in the land. Israel was about to experience a natural disaster that would wreck their lives for so many years. Rain that they expected, rain every single year that came during the same seasons was about to be gone for the next several years, they were going to experience strife and struggles. Rain they so desperately needed throughout the year was now going to be a physical reminder of God's word that they needed even more. I love this moment because a little side moment in these, in these things. The person they worshiped was Baal. He was the God of rain for the Canaanites. They've turned from the one true God and they've come to Baal. And in this moment, I love this because God often attacks the falsities of our world by showing he is the one true God. Baal's supposed to provide rain. And in this moment, God is about to shut off the tap. If Baal was real, this shouldn't have been a problem. After all, he was supposedly in control of the rain. Yet, not until much later in the story do we see rain return to Israel. Here's where I think it's important for us to hear this. God's word, like rain, brings life. But Israel has rejected God's word as the source of their life. This drought is a rebuke of the rejection of God's life-giving word. Only at the word of God's prophet Elijah will the people of Israel see rain again. 
So the consequences, I want us to pause right there for a second. The consequences of disobeying God and rejecting his word in our daily lives are drastic and eternal. To reject God's word is to reject his plan, his purpose, and his design for your life. For us, spiritual drought is a scary reality if we are not in God's word daily. Here's the thing about spiritual drought. It has no favorites. It has no biases. Drought comes to those who don't seek God daily. It doesn't even have to start with like this big declaration of rejection. Like a thief in the night, the the Bible tells us the enemy comes to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. And our own sinful nature desire nothing more than to seek our will above God's. So the question is, how do I know if I'm in a drought? How do you know at home today if you're in a spiritual drought? And the truth is, it's not so easy. Just as physical droughts take some time to be noticeable, spiritual ones can sneak up on us as well. If we aren't ever watchful, if we don't have accountability in our life, and if we aren't in prayer daily with God, a spiritual drought can sneak up into your life. So some helpful indicators of your life being in a drought could look like this. And I, I started laughing as I was writing this because growing up, my family, my parents loved Jeff Foxworthy and, and he, they loved all of his comedians, uh, just different sketches and things. So as I was writing this, I kind of was reading it in Jeff Foxworthy's voice. You could do that too if you want, but let's try to focus on what's serious. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sidecarring us a little bit. But as I was thinking of this, I just couldn't help but get Jeff's voice out of my head. But that's okay, we're gonna stop. We're still going to focus on what we need to, but some helpful indicators of your life being in drought could look like this. If your relationships in life are strained, you might be in a drought. You wake up each morning thinking far more about what you don't have than how grateful you are for what you do. You might be in a drought. Your thoughts are not ones that would be appropriate to share out loud, meaning if you couldn't say what you were thinking out loud without hurting others, then you might be in a drought. Your patience for people, your lack of grace for mistakes, and genuine feeling about others is negative. You might be in a drought. You see, the list goes on and on, but I think it's important for us to note the rejection of God's word can sneak up into any of our lives not just the non-believer, but the believer as well. You can decide today that there are parts that you'd rather not deal with. There's parts that you'd rather not agree with. More importantly, there's parts of the Bible that you don't wanna submit to. But hear this church, you either take it all or you take it none. God's word is either 100% or none at all. It's either divinely written or it's been made up. And the truth is you may not understand it all. You may even struggle with some of it. But if today you say that you are a follower of Christ, then you gotta submit to it. You have to submit to it. It's great that Jesus is our savior, but it's also equally great that Jesus is our Lord. So you have to submit to God's word. When all of this is going down, let's go back to our story. God directs Elijah to the wilderness 
There's a bunch of verses on the screen, but essentially 1 Kings 17, 2 through 4, I'm going to try to sum it up for us. God's word comes to Elijah again, and he says, hey, you know what? I, I need you to leave this place now. You just talked to King Ahab. I need you to leave this place, and I need you to go out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, I'm going to lead you to what's called a wadi. It's essentially a section of the river where you could go, and I'm going to feed you with ravens. That's a whole nother sermon in itself, but I'm going to take care of you is what essentially God tells him. And I think this is an important note for us. God's word directs Elijah to life and Elijah follows it where it leads him. When the water dries up, God directs him again to a woman in a town called Zarephath. And as the story goes, Elijah follows God's word once again. And I want you to hear this. I think this is important. Skip a little bit ahead here. He hears the word of God and he lives it out. For today, we see these two parties. We see Israel, who's completely rejected God's word, and we see Elijah, who hears and does. Today, which one are you? Do you hear God's word, and do you do it? Let's continue. Next, we're going to see Elijah. He's going to be talking to this woman at Zarephath. And in this moment, he comes to her, and he says this, Please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. She went to get it and he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. And as this is going on, she looks at him and she says, as the Lord, your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in a jug. Just now I am gathering a couple of sticks in order to go and prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat and die. The widow is down to her last jar. The drought has all but starved her. The drought and the sins of the nation have affected her. No one is immune to the consequences of sin. We don't know her standing with the Lord in this section of scripture, but what we do see, and I love this from Elijah, he reminds her as the Lord your God lives, you will not see starvation. As the Lord your God lives, he's reminding this Jewish woman, hey, I know you've been, been off here and as a nation you've been worshiping Baal, but your God lives. As long as he lives, you're not gonna see starvation today. And the story goes on, God provides food day by day for them. And it, the Bible actually uses the word many days. But there's a truth in here. When all seems hopeless and the world is so dark, Elijah is reminding the widow who's in charge. It's not Baal. It's the one true God. Today you won't starve. This is where the next truth comes in. Skipping ahead a little bit. Through God's word in Elijah's mouth, the widow's food is multiplied. I love this moment from the text because you get to see a contrast between Baal and between God. Both promise to their followers life, but only one delivers. Both promise that they have what's best for you, but only one really does what's best for you. God's word has power in it. Baal's is empty. 
In the next section of scripture, we see the first resurrection of the Bible. After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill, and his illness got worse until he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, man of God, what do you have against me? Have you come to call attention to my iniquity so that my son is put to death? Let's pause right there. Parents in the room, parents at home, hear this as a dad of four. Can you feel this woman's struggles? All of a sudden, her whole life was falling apart. She had given up. She was ready to eat her last meal. She was ready to just die with her son. She had waved her white flag and surrendered to life. And in this moment, God shows up and he and he brings food into her life through Elijah and, and everything seems to be on the up and up. But now out of nowhere, her son dies. It's like, wow, kick a woman while she's down. Can you feel the struggle in her voice? Man, have you come to call attention to my iniquity, Elijah? Like, what's the deal with this? I thought God loved me and said I wouldn't starve. Why would he also then allow this to happen? So the story continues. Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms and brought him up to the up, upstairs room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I'm staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. So the Lord listened to Elijah. I love this. Hear this truth real quick. When we follow God, we, we align ourselves with God's plan. When we, when we trust his word, we align ourselves with God's desires and his plan. Elijah shows in this moment, when we're connected and devoted to God's word, God's word can do great things through us, in us, and around us. God's plan that day was to show this widow in the middle of Zarephath, in the middle of nowhere, his love for us and for her. So Elijah took the boy, he brought him down from the upstairs room into the house and he gave him to the mother. Elijah said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know you're a man of God and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. The widow in this moment realizes that Ahab would never see. Through God's word in Elijah's mouth, God brings life. Why does this story matter? The story matters to you and me because like Israel, we also have gone astray not just as a nation, not just as a community, not just even as a church, but as people, you and me, individually, we've all at times have turned to false gods in our lives. Some of us are in spiritual drought right now as we speak, and you feel as if you've never going to get out. God is distant. He doesn't feel real to you. You've come to church out of pure consistency. You've logged on online out of just pure habit. Yeah, you've, you've changed your schedule, but only really not like because of consistency, not out of conviction. You've started searching for answers in all the wrong places, and it's led to worshiping the world just as Israel had turned to Baal. You've tried solution after solution, but nothing fixes the problem. I wanna tell you friends today, rejecting the truth found in this book lead to death. Rejecting God's word leads to death. 
They lead to divorce, they lead to confusions, they lead to lies, addiction, self-harm, jealousy, anger, hate, and so much more. Rejection of this book leads to sin. And for Israel, this rejection had consequences. And for you, it also has consequences. Consequences that look like never feeling loved, a broken marriage, a constant cycle of discontentment, chasing the Joneses, kids that want nothing to do with you or won't listen to you, abuse, lies, broken friendships, and more. And I'm not sure where you're at today. Maybe you're sitting on a couch at home. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a room, wherever you are. I'm not sure where you are. But if you would search your heart with me today, and more importantly, ask God to search your heart and begin to allow him into your life, I am sure that God will point you to areas in your life where you've not fully submitted to his word. An interesting study was done by Lifeway in 2021, and it stated this, 50% of all adults in America are Bible users, but only 11% are daily readers. It's hard to trust God's word if we aren't even reading it. This is where that whole good news, bad news comes in. The bad, bad news is not a lot of us are trusting it. The good news is it's not too late to turn back to trusting God's word. There's hope for you and there's hope for me. And his name is Jesus. If you believe today, you might be in drought. I want to I help you, and I want, to, I want you to hear the wisdom of the prophet. Repent and turn back to God. If Elijah were here today, I believe that this would be his message. Repent. Israel constantly struggled with trusting God. They would have seasons of complete trust. They would have seasons of backsliding and they would have seasons of complete rejection of God's word. The cycle actually looks like the, uh, the cycle for us actually looks very similar to the Israelites. It looks just like this. Disobedience leads to sin, leads to consequences, and it leads to driving us further from God. So in our life, we, we see disobedience, which leads to sin. Then we see the consequences of it. And those consequences drive us further from God. And this cycle, it seems so unbreakable in our lives. Decades of disobedience seem too much to chip away at. But maybe you try, and it looks like this second cycle. Disobedience leads to sin, which leads to consequences, which leads further from God. But then in steps a faith moment and you repent and you take your faith serious. But after a while, you start to go through the motions again and that leads to apathy and not caring about your faith, which means you start the whole process over again. For Israel, they saw this constantly. And I want you to hear this. This is often where I find my life. And you wanna know why? It's because I'm relying on myself. In my own faith, I'm relying on my own personal solutions rather than God's word. And I want to encourage you, it's too much to do on your own. I know it doesn't sound like encouragement, but to try to fix this cycle on your own is impossible. You need God's help. You see, God's word says this about the cycle of, diso or the cycle of obedience, that, that you need to this in James be doers of the word and not just hearers only. If you do that, you're going to deceive yourself. You need to be both hearers and doers of the word, not just doers and not hearers. 
In this moment, if we want to follow God, we need to realize that we need his help to do it. And in my life, I've seen cycle time and again, I fall to sin when I'm become apathetic towards my faith. And when faith becomes more about checking boxes or doing my job than it does about worshiping God and making him known, then I fall and I enter a time of spiritual drought. But when God steps into the picture, this is what the cycle looks like. Disobedience leads to sin, which leads to consequences, which leads to furthering from God. But God steps in and we start to trust him and we repent. We take our faith serious. We start to trust God's word even when we fall and when we sin, we realize that Jesus is bigger and God has forgiven us through the cross. We resubmit to our lives rather than running back to disobedience and we keep going forward. The cycle breaks when we realize God steps into it. When we try to rely on ourselves, it's just a circle of sin and, and falling and repenting and hitting those moments. It's those moments, I've talked to our students before, where I hit my knees at night and I just tell God, man, I'm never gonna do that again. God, please forgive me. Please help me to repent. Please help me to change. Please help me to turn from those sinful moments. And then the next day, I'm doing the same thing. It's moments of this where I start to trust God's word and believe what it says that God helps me change. I can't do it on my own and friends, neither can you. The story with God in this moment, the story ends with God bringing rain back to the Israelites. He proves time and time again that he is who he says he is to Israel. You want some homework this week? Read 1 Kings chapter 18, the next chapter. See how powerful our God is. See how amazing our God is and how he is the one true God. There's this giant test between God and Baal. And I'm telling you, it's not even close. God shows up and he shows up big. But today I wanna to give you a moment to reflect on your life. Drought has hit some of you in this room today. Some of you at homes, myself at times, and maybe you've come out with God's help. Praise God for that. But today for others, you're experiencing it right now. You've stopped looking to God as your source of life, your hope and your truth. You still love him, but the submitting or even seeking him part of it is just not part of the reality of your life right now. So today I ask that you would take some time to repent. What repenting is, is simply this. It's, it's turning away from your sinful nature and your rejection of God's word. And it's turning back to the truth. It's, it's a mind shift change of going from, okay, God, you want me to go here, but I've been going here. So I'm gonna physically turn, not just physically, but spiritually turn away from sin back to you. I'm gonna not just hear your word, I'm also going to do it. So for you today, maybe this is where you're at. You need to repent today. Today, I'm gonna to ask you to take some time to do that. And if you aren't blatantly aware of areas of your life where you aren't trusting God, would you join me today in asking for God to search you? I want you to hear this last truth, and I think this is important for us. If there's one thing you could take from this sermon, it's this. The word of God never runs dry because God's word brings life. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly and almighty God, we come before you humbled and sorrowful, aware of our sins and ready to repent. 
Lord, forgive us for we have sinned before you. Wash away our sins. Purify us. Help us to turn from our sins. Lead us to walk in your way, leaving behind our old life and starting a new life in you. Lord, you are loving, you are just, you show compassion to us, you shower us with your mercy. May our hearts long for your word to know it and to trust it, to live it and to proclaim it, to share it and to teach it. God, may your word bring new life to us in Jesus' name, amen. Today, if you find yourself in a spiritual drought, I want you to hear this, that there is a very real reality that maybe you're in a drought because you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I I wanna give you an opportunity, whether you're at home, on your couch, wherever that is, to know that Jesus died for you. I want you to know that not only he died for you, but God loves you so much. And there's this truth that that the spiritual drought in your life comes from sin. The darkness in our world is sin. And sin separates you from God, a holy God. Holy just means set apart. But God is good and sin separates you from that. So today, if you would like to say yes to Jesus, I want you to hear this. This is from the book of Romans and it starts in verse nine, it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So today, if you could just read this prayer with me real quick. If you'd like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today, I would love for you to read this and pray this with me. Father God, you love me so much that you sent your son to be my savior. Jesus, forgive me for my sin by your grace. Restore me to you. Jesus, be the savior and Lord of my life. Help me to follow you. I say yes to you today. In your name, amen. If you did that today, we would love to connect with you. We want to know that you made that decision because it's awesome. We wanna celebrate that with you. I want to celebrate that with you and praise God for all that God is gonna do in your life. Please connect with us and let us know that you made that decision today. We love you.